Good morning, church. All right. Hey, there we go. There we go. I like to make sure you guys are awake at least before I start. So, um, glad to be here with you guys again this week. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew Stout. Uh, I was here with you guys last week. Uh, Many of you all were here, and I was excited to see several people here uh, with the beautiful weather that we were having. Um, I actually love snow. It's one of my favorite things to get to see, and I know some other people don't. They would rather be where it's warmer, and that's okay. That's all right. Well, um, Dan is gone again this week. Um, I believe they just got off their cruise ship, um, and so they took uh, two of their grandchildren, one of them was my daughter, um, down to the Caribbean, and I think they've made it back safely. So that's a plus, because my daughter's with them. So uh, anyway, I'm, again, excited to be here with you guys this week. Um, Last week, we, we talked about this idea of refocusing. And what our life looks like when we, when we refocus. What, what are we supposed to be focusing on? And, and last week, I really wanted to focus on this idea that Christian faith should never be focused on what a Christian does. Rather, what a Christian should be focused on, which is Christ, right? So this week, I want to transition. And I, I, once we get focused in on, on who we're supposed to be focused on, which is Jesus, we need to be able to see clearly. And that's what I want to talk with you guys about today. A couple weeks ago, I was on a plane uh, going from San Francisco, not San Francisco, Springfield. I wasn't that far away from home, but from Springfield to Chicago. And I was trying to get to Louisville, Kentucky to speak at a church there on behalf of Wise. And unfortunately, I never made it. See, whenever I was boarding my plane in Springfield, uh, they issued a gale force wind warning for Chicago. So uh, we decided to go ahead and make the journey, which was not intelligent. But anyway, we, we all got on the plane and we start flying. And we've been in the air for about an hour and the seatbelt sign never went off, which is kind of unusual, right? Because most of the time they'll let you at least get up and go to the restroom if you need to go to the restroom. And the pilots and the, the flight attendants kept saying, you know, please remain in your seats, please remain in your seats. And I really didn't understand why. So we get into the Chicago area and the pilot gets on the radio and he says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Please make sure that everything is stowed away, blah, 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 right? Which people never pay attention to, right? So... I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. Then he continued to say visibility is about 100 feet. I'm no pilot, but I know when you're moving at a couple hundred miles an hour, a couple or a hundred feet is not much. And as we continued our descent, I knew we were getting closer to the ground. I heard the flaps go down. I heard the wheels go down. And I never saw the ground. I started to get kind of worried. And then all of a sudden... I see the ground, and it's just like right there, and we landed. And you know, sometimes whenever we're not able to see clearly, we don't have the right direction, we don't know where we're going, it's hard to know who or what to follow. So today I want to talk with you guys about this idea of seeing clearly and how important it is to see clearly. So I ask the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is being a Christian? Is, see, many times being a Christian is cultural. I think if we walked out into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our places of employment, we would say, who's a Christian? I think many people would identify as a Christian. Why? Because 
It's, cult it's cultural. I think it's a title that is inherited. Oh, my parents were Christians. Being a youth minister for several years, I heard that a lot. It's a tie to the past. See, others, they define Christianity in terms of a general belief in Jesus or a desire to even be a good person. See, Christianity isn't something that's just cultural. Christianity isn't something that you inherit. Christianity isn't just something that is a tie to the past. But it's a way that we, as Christians, should live our life. I find it very interesting that Christianity um, is a title, although it is. In Acts chapter 11, 20, uh, verse 26, Luke says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. But despite being called Christians first at Antioch, Christianity, or the title Christian, only appears three times in the New Testament. Three times. It appears twice in the books of, uh, book of Acts, chapter 11, and also in chapter 26, and once in 1 Peter 4. But you know what appears far more often than the term Christian? It's a word that probably has a lot of derogatory meaning in our, in our culture. It's a word that you guys might not be comfortable with. It's a word that might make you feel, um, well, rather uncomfortable. But this term appears well over a hundred times in the New Testament. And that title is slave. Slave appears more than the term Christian in our Bible. So today, I want to talk with you guys about this idea of slave. And, and when we are able to see clearly why it is important for Christians to be considered slaves. So hang tight with me for a little bit, and we'll unpack that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you that we had the opportunity. We had the opportunity to understand what it means to be a slave, why being a slave to you is so important. When we are able to refocus, we can now see clearly that we can see you as our master and us as a slave. Lord, I pray for soft hearts that are moldable. Lord, that we can, again, comprehend this idea of a slave and what it means for Christians like us. In your name we pray, amen. So this idea of a slave, uncomfortable? I think it is. But we are a slave to Christ. If, if you guys would open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But here we see, we see Paul, and he's dealing with the church at Corinth. Most of you guys know that the Corinthians, they were very, um, they were tough for Paul to deal with. They challenged Paul on a lot of different things. They made Paul very uncomfortable. Paul, there were times, I think, where he was just like, thought that the Corinthians were a bunch of three-year-olds, and he just wanted to grab them and just shake them, right? But see, specifically here in, in, chapter, in chapter 6, Paul is speaking to them about sexual immorality. And, and the Corinthian church, they actually had a phrase, to, and the phrase that they would chant was, to be a Corinthian. And that was actually, that phrase meant to fornicate. 
I'm not staying on sexual sin today, so, so don't, don't get too excited and jump up and leave. But, but that's, that's in this, this chapter. That's what Paul was talking about. And, and specifically, um, he, he's, he wants them to understand this idea of leaving stuff behind and moving on ahead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, uh, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. That idea of slave, being a slave is what Paul was talking about. You are not your own. Therefore, don't, don't have the sexual sin. Honor God with your body. The author John MacArthur, MacArthur wrote in his powerful book, Slave, the Greek word for slave has been covered up by being mistranslated in almost every English version of the Bible. The, the, the Greek word there is doulos. And it was covered up even going back through the King James and also in the, the Geneva Bible, which predated the King, or the King James Version. Doulos appears 124 times in the original text. I'll repeat that. Doulos, the Greek word for slave, appears 124 times in the original text. And it is only translated correctly one time in the King James Version. It, if you thought about it for a second, it almost seems like a conspiracy, right? Instead of translating the word slave... These translators, they, they actually substituted a word there that is more palatable to us, and that is a servant. But I have to kind of draw a little bit of contrast between these two. If we see a servant, see a servant over here, a servant, do they have their own rights? Yep. Do they work pretty much when they want to work? Yep. Do they have their own identity? Yes, again. But we move over here to the word slave. Does, slave. does a slave have his own identity, his or her own identity? No. Does a slave work when the slave wants to work? No. Does a slave really have rights of their own? No, not at all. But see, I think that they translated the word doulos as servant to be more palatable for us. As I've said last week, and I also made, made reference to it this week, I worked for a Bible college down in Barbados. And about five years ago, four years ago, we bought um, a piece of property down there um, that is a beautiful campus, absolutely gorgeous. I know none of you all have been down there, and if you guys would like to take a mission trip down there to work with our students and to see our beautiful campus, please hit me up. I'd love to take you guys down there. But it was a slave plantation. Before we got there, it was a slave plantation. It's actually been several years ago now. But the, the context of being a slave is still alive and well in the Caribbean, specifically in Barbados. We have our plantation house. It's a beautiful home. It's over 300 years old. And right behind that, we have the slaves' quarters. People there, they still understand the idea of a slave. Whenever that you're making them feel uncomfortable as a white person, I've heard people say this, that you're making me feel like a slave. 
They're saying that I'm, you're not my master, but I might be a servant. See, many times we as, as Americans and, and we as people with morals, we don't like the word slave, do we? But in Christianity, we are a slave of Christ. My wife and I, we, we adopted uh, our oldest son, and his name's Micaiah Stout. And you might be thinking, Andrew, that's a, a name that you guys, that's, that was his original name. Micaiah Stout was my great, great, great grandpa, and he fought in the Civil War. And I actually have his Bible that he carried through the Civil War and a millennial harbinger, which was written by Alexander Campbell, that he carried through the Civil War. And I named, my wife and I named Micaiah, I didn't have a whole lot to do with that, um, but we named Micaiah because it had significant meaning to our family, showing that end of slavery. See, modern English translations consistently mistranslated doulos when the Greek meaning actually meant slave. Again, I think that they actually ended up doing this correctly. Because whenever Christians were being converted, whenever we came to America, Christians were being converted, how many people do you think would love to have been a slave? But servant is more palatable to us. But servant loses a lot of context. And today I want to challenge you guys. I, I want to challenge you guys with the idea of what does it look like to having a master in your life? We are a slave to Christ. Christ is our master. When we become a Christian, are our, are our decisions ours or are they Christ's? Do the things that we do, do they represent us or do they represent Jesus? Do the things that we say represent us or do they represent Jesus? See, many times, I think that we lose sight of this and we, we actually think that we are servants. But in reality, we are slaves. You are not your own. You were bought with a Christ. You're, you were bought by Christ. Therefore, honor God. Seeing clearly allows us to focus on Christ which will transform the way that we think and act as Christians. The second thing that I see in this section of Scripture is this idea that you were bought by Christ. You were bought by Christ. You, he paid a price for you. Again, this word slave, not servant, slave is running through the Scripture. Specifically, uh, in Romans chapter 6, 6, we, uh, we, we hear this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be a slave to sin. Further down in verse 19 in chapter 6 of the book of Romans, it says, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Jump over to the book of Galatians now. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. 
But now that you know God, or rather you are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? The New Testament's giving a pretty clear picture here. It's an either-or message. I know I, I tend to do this with my kids a lot. I tend to say, okay, you can either do what I ask you to do, or here's the consequence, right? And I feel like that's kind of what's going on here in the New Testament. It's an either-or mentality. Either you are a slave to righteousness, or you're a slave to sin. Either you are going to do what Christ has called us to do, which is to be pure, to be sinless, to be holy, or you are a slave to sin. But Jesus bought us out of that sin. We have to accept it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We are property of God's. Christ bought us with his death. When I was going to school at Ozark, I had a, a friend of mine, uh, his name was Tresor Yinyi. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you on how to say it or even spell it, because I can't. I mispronounce his name every time I say it. But he, he is the director of an organization in Africa called Moingaza Ministries. Again, I won't have you say it or spell it. But Trezor, before he, even became, before he ever came to Ozark, he bought his first slave. He went to the slave market, walking by it one day, and heard, heard this auction going on. So he walked in to see this girl standing up on a pedestal, and he didn't really know what was going on, but all he had was the equivalent of about $10 in his pocket. And the price was well under $10. And he raises his hand and he buys this girl. And he takes her home and he starts teaching her about Jesus and he sets her free. After he came to Ozark, he got his degree. He went home and actually ended up adopting this girl as his daughter. Now every week, Trezor, he goes to these auctions and he continues to buy these slaves in order to set them free. Most of these slaves are children soldiers um, that have actually gone and, and they were actually children soldiers. So there's a lot of rehab that he does with them. Um, but he, he continues to buy these slaves in order to set them free. And, and I feel like that's just a perfect image of what Christ has done for us. Christ goes up and he sees us on the auction block and he physically buys each and every one of us. You are not your own. You were bought with a price and you were bought by Christ. In 1 Timothy um, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, Paul says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, that, and that man is Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. See, church, whenever we as Christians are able to see clearly, and we understand that we are a slave of Christ, a legitimate slave, because he bought us, our life will be 
transformed. Our life will be transformed. So what does this idea of being transformed look like? Well, it's a matter of control. It's a matter of control. Who controls us? And you might be getting uncomfortable and be like, you know, Andrew, I really don't like this idea. I re- this idea really makes me uncomfortable. Well, being a slave, that, that whole slave mindset makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? When someone's a slave, it makes us uncomfortable. Because your decisions aren't your own. Your thoughts aren't your own. Your ideas aren't your own. They're all now Christ. And we're able to see clearly what will be transformed in our thoughts, in our mind, in our actions. And we'll be able to continue to honor God with everything. And that's the third thing that I really want to focus on today is this idea of honoring Christ. You are called to be a slave to righteousness or a slave to purity or a slave to holiness. When we honor Christ, that's exactly what we're doing. Jesus is saying, I bought you, I own you, you are mine. In 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 the idea, the context of slave, that's kind of uncomfortable, I get it. But in the context of Christianity, it should be um, very comforting. I bought you. I own you. You are mine. Nothing that, that you do is going to separate me from you. You're mine. You're mine. Paul in Philippians um, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says this, Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, he died a very painful and a very graphic, gruesome humiliating death. One of my favorite classes at Ozark was Life of Christ Semester 4. And that was, that was talking about Jesus' life from AD 70, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, to His resurrection. And we got to talk about all these different things that happened in Jesus' life. The, the, the last few hours of Jesus' life took us over a month to talk about. It was phenomenal. But Jesus, he paid that ultimate price. He died a very miserable, painful death. He felt felt it. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But you know what's even better than that? After Jesus died, he rose again. He conquered death. He conquered death. Death didn't hold him down. It didn't trap him. Nothing about death could ever be associated with Christ. He conquered it. See, whenever we're able to honor Christ, we thank Him for dying on the cross. We thank Him for raising up from the dead for conquering death. We honor him for saving 
us as sinners. See, this idea of servantship can only be given to a master that has pure intentions by conquering death and for dying for us. This idea of being a servant isn't something that is taken lightly. We actually see um, in throughout the New Testament uh, in different translations uh, now once people are starting to catch this idea of servant slave metaphor they're starting to understand this idea of, of a slave actually carries more meaning than than what we originally put on it but the Holman Christian Standard Bible is a, a translation that has really come onto this and Paul he introduces himself um, in, in Romans by saying Paul a slave of Christ Jesus in in um, in James, I'm sorry, and Peter, First Peter, Second Peter, sorry, chapter one, Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then in James one one, James says, James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. These three men, they're saying, I'm going to honor Jesus because he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. I want to be a slave to someone who can conquer death. I want to be a slave to someone that, that, that died for me. He's my master. So this morning, church, I want to ask you, who's your master? Who is your master? Who is the one that you're serving? Is it sin or is it Jesus? If it's sin... Maybe we could refocus, kind of like what we talked about last week, so that we can see clearly. If it's Jesus, what are we doing? How are we doing it? How are we showing that he is our master? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you that we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to understand that you are our master, that you um, have given us more than we could ever repay you for. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to look over this idea of servantship and slave and understand that I am a slave to you because you wanted me and you bought me and you chose me. God, I pray today for countryside. I pray that that, uh, that these people here, your slaves here at this church, would understand that as well. In your name we pray, amen.